This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 695, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 695. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Ryan Haupt. Hello, Joshua. You thought that you could just do the show on your own forever, but no, I'm back, and I saw what you did in the back room. You know, I'm going to put that one on Jim, but to be honest, we didn't know what was going to happen when we lit the fuse, so we just lit it and then, and then just waited to see what would happen. Is that... Is that an okay what place to say boys will be boys? Because I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's more like, look at these idiots. Sure. I feel like we should still be able to say that, but I don't know. Seems valid. Things are changing. (laughs) We are (laughs) at Fanboy, and we skirt around the edge of social satire there. Connor would be like, start over. Just start everything over, (laughs) but I'm going through it. Uh, (laughs) We are at Fanboy. Read a stack of comics every week. Uh, One of us picks their favorite book. We call that the pick of the week. We're going to talk about that book, other books from the week. Uh, We're going to try not to talk about everything that we've talked about before, but then you want to talk about a lot, and that's the art. That's where it comes in. There's the patron pick, and if we have time, we will deal with some listener mail. I I have several questions. If we don't go on and on and on and on, then we can do some of that, but we'll see. Uh, this week I had the peak, I had the pick, so I'll just keep talking now. Unless you have something to add to that, I got nothing. It's, that's the right decision, by the way. Uh, so the pick of the week this week is Superman Up in the Sky number two uh, by Tom King and Andy Kubert. Uh, Andy Cooper being inked. I always notice when there's an inker now. I'm like, oh look, you got this inked. Uh, colors by Brad Anderson and letters by Clayton Cowles, who's who's all over this list this week. Uh, just anecdotally. Um, I assume you are reading along with this and you had not bought the Walmart versions. I did not get the Walmart versions. Mm -hmm. Um, Reading uh, along as it comes out in issues. I was just like before. I was surprised that this was of the level that it was at because I, I kind of thought, well, they're doing these sort of direct to Walmart comics. Maybe they're going to try to dumb them down a little bit. Now, I don't think that either Bendis or Tom King are going to be the people who are really going to dumb stuff down, but that wasn't the case here at all. It was like these, no, these are just excellent comics. And I almost, almost can sympathize with the store owners who are like, Hey, what about us? Why can't we get them? Because for a long time I was like, Oh, stop. You have other comics. But I was like, no, these are very good. I could see why I'd want to sell these. So I really liked the first issue. And right away, uh, as I started reading the second issue, which is this Superman versus, uh, what's his name? Rock. Mido. Mido. There it is. Which I just looked up. Uh, is a canonical Superboy character from back in the day uh, in a very similar costume. So they, they really nailed it. Yeah, and I, I, there's, a, there's a boxing match, and it's pretty much a straight-up boxing match. Uh, the rules are no superpowers outside of the strength and, uh, quote, whatever invulnerability you've got, which I thought was nice. Um, there's a, uh, like a Plo Koon-type alien uh, referee uh, with a big long neck and a bow tie, which is nice. And right away, like, you know, I just I didn't expect this to be what half of the Superman issue would be. It's this this boxing match. And, and, you know, the uh, Mido right away is like, you know, he just looks like a sort of a pug boxer with sort of a greenish tint. Um, 
And he's like, you know, I got what you got. I know what you've got. I know what I got. And you're not going to win. So save yourself the trouble. And, you know, Superman, of course, isn't going to do that because he's trying to save this girl. That's what all this is about. And he'll never give up. And it's a little hard to describe or, or analyze other than like it was just it was very visceral and tactile mm-hmm. and 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 out of the realm of my expectation and and ultimately very satisfying sort of this first boxing part who made those trunks by the way i was gonna ask you that uh <laughs> but you know thinking about it mito being a silver age character in the silver age it was established that superman does have super sewing power so maybe he just sewed them himself real quick sure i guess he could do that there's no reason that he couldn't um <laughs> you, don't, you don't think Ma, i mean maquette taught him how to do a stitch well i mean if he is he's computing at a faster rate than than humans he's got a he's got mm-hmm. a yellow sun to, to fuel him and he can move really fast you know he, he could, doesn't he need could, to worry he, about wearing a thimble for the needle yeah no and he could he could he could screw up a bunch of them like oh that's not good but it's only a minute has gone by you know and he's like okay finally got it perfect the thing that surprised me was how like even though this is taking place in an alien world with alien referees and alien corner coaches, it, it surprised me how much more of a straightforward earth boxing match this ended up being. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, in the way that sort of the fighting itself was, was drawn and the, and the, you know, the characters and sort of, and the lighting, like mm-hmm. the lighting was really good. Uh, those, the, the Brad Anderson colors where you, um, you know, the, it's that, you know, you can only see in the, in the ring, the light is coming down from overhead and it makes everything look kind of ethereal from the middle of the ring, but kind of also dark all around them. Like every, you know, HBO films, boxing documentary I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. A question I have, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this has come up before, is Superman actually a capable fighter? Like how much in on Earth is he just reliant on the fact that he's faster and stronger and more invulnerable than everybody versus does he have actual skill in the ring? Because he has a hard time landing punches during the match. My guess is that he's not like if 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 all things were equal and you put him against Mike Tyson in his prime and they didn't have superhero super strength, he'd probably he'd do okay, but he would lose. In the way that he most often applies his superpowers, which is the fighting of crime, the 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 punching to either break things or or subdue somebody, he's probably very good at that. Um, he's also, you to think he piles around with Batman. He knows, uh, Ted Wildcat Grant. He, and he, and he can learn very fast. He knows things. So he's probably pretty good. I guess. It didn't, it didn't come through. I mean, cause really the, the story, it's more about him being tough and, and that whole Steve Rogers stand back up thing than it mm-hmm. is his skill in the ring. Yeah, but that's, I mean, but that's, you know, to some people it's a val, you know, you gotta, you can have everything else, but at the end you gotta have heart. I think. Yeah, that's the point. Even if you don't quite know what you're doing, you don't give up and you're capable or whatever. But I mean, that's also like a, you know, in the sort of the abstract, it's a sports story. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. what it is. Like you you can you can get through and nobody thinks you can win. And that guy doesn't think you can win. You're not even sure you can win, but you're not going to quit. You know, that's you know, that's the romance of it. So it goes either way. And we find out through the course of the story that he's in this fight to learn information about the girl that yeah. he's searching for. So yeah. that's why he can't quit. That's the motivation. Yeah, because he can't let somebody. That totally tracks. Yeah. Yes, it does. And, and you know, I, I think it worked really well in that way. And it, again, totally unexpected and really fun to read. Very just like it, it you could smell it. You know what I mean? Like it was, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it's Kubert, but it, I, you know, I don't think he was, he was kind of overdoing it in a good way. 
Like everyone was a little more muscly and everything was a little gritty and kind of uh, is nice. I liked it. Yeah. And the, you know, the action's a little bit exaggerated yeah. with the, the forms are really kind of contorted in ways that suggest the movement more than actually kind mm-hmm. of displaying how the bodies would really yeah. be moving, which is cool. Uh, second part we've got, I guess, theoretically, this is not a, this is not right after the other story and he's, Floating around in space, he's all beat up. An alien ship comes along, pulls him in. They got a healer. He tries to fix him. He doesn't have it. Everybody in the crew is like, listen, you're not going to be able to do this. Just let him go. But he keeps thinking well, about and the, him. And the, the thing about the healer is the healer has to give up some of his own right. life force to heal people. Yep. And so I guess Superman being a giant battery <laughs> yep. takes takes a lot more charge than his normal uh, charges. I yeah. Guess. But so having spent a little time in him, he's not a Martian, but he's really close to a Martian, I think. He's very, they're very Martian-like in the way that their family sort of interacts and looks. Feels like these are kind of, they're Martian-esque, it, DC Martian-esque. There's not, not right. that there's a real Martian to compare it to, but there are well, different that's... canonical comic book and sci-fi Martians, so it's important. To, <laughs> um, you know, and it was really like sweet and touching. Is like the 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 healer gets into Superman's head and he's like, no, he's really good. You know, I, I think I have to help him. And he sacrifices everything for that, you know, he for his family. Well, and I mean, before we get to even the, that, that mm-hmm. conclusion, I loved when his colleagues are arguing with him about like, yeah, but has he ever, has he ever saved us? And the healer is like, dude, yeah, <laughs> like our entire <laughs> our entire galaxy and universe exists because of this guy. Yeah. Like, so he's you know, they're they're trying to tell him to take the more utilitarian approach of like, well, like what has he ever done for us? And and this guy like has seen it and he's seen how important Superman is. I love stories that um, show how important Superman is on a galactic scale. And then I also love like they even had a um, an image of Superman punching Mongol in here. And to me, this was almost like the reverse of for the man who has everything. Mm-hmm. Cause it's all about like, instead of giving Superman his every wish and having Superman have to reject it to save the day, it's about showing this guy who can get into Superman's head, seeing how important Superman is and then having to make a decision about whether or not to sacrifice everything for that. Yeah. And I, I, I like that while Superman is the hero in this, Superman is not the hero in this. Nope. I like that. You're right. That moment where like, yeah, he saved all of us. That's all the justification ever for any sort of moral person to make that decision. But to actually follow through with it is the thing that most people or aliens, as the case may be, wouldn't be able to do. And the way that that reveals itself with, you know, Superman himself coming and, and talk, you know, talking, seeing the family just being like, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, because Superman wouldn't have chosen that. Nope. Uh, you know, he wouldn't have done that math, even though that math checks out. Um, it's it's sort of like the Avengers and Infinity War when Vision is willing to sacrifice, yeah. but everyone else is like, no, 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 like that's not how we do it. And which, by the way, was even, the wrong choice, <laughs> as I think we saw in the events of the film. <laughs> they should have just I mean, it would have been, you know, he he was willing to do it. It was fine. Um, just like Black Widow was anyway, because um, that's what heroes do. I liked the two short stories. I liked that, you know, they both were on a theme, but we sort of got two little bits of things. Um, I just, I, I found that this was like one of those emotional ones where I was just like, oh, that was really nice. Like, it just made me feel good. It was, it was like one of those, this is what, you know, quote unquote, kids are supposed to learn from superheroes, you know? 
like it's it's just good old timey values kind of superhero stuff and uh and i dug it i I also just like the way it was it wasn't super heavy-handed i like the way it was rendered throughout both you know story and art um and you know when i looked over my list i was like oh that's that's it that's the one i don't have another thing i have other ones that could have been pick of the week for sure but um i decided to go with this one cool yeah uh really close in the running uh and 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 the the previous uh issue i think was pick of the week deceased number four um was another just really great issue i I heard you guys talking about tom taylor last week um Mm -hmm. and and he continues to delight are you are you reading this Yeah, yeah i am and and i assume you're enjoying it i am enjoying it uh it feels like Captain Adam is having a bit of a moment. He's been in a few things I've read recently, whereas I feel like I haven't seen him in a while. And mm-hmm. it's interesting that like you're using Captain Adam a lot for uh, when you're right about to bring Dr. Manhattan back into the DC universe. So it's kind of a weird coincidence. Um, there's some fun stuff. I mean, Tom Taylor is incredibly clever. Um, he's got some of that sort of, he's got some sort of that juice that Donny Cates has where he can like take a thing that should be obvious, but make it still seem surprising in the moment. Like for me, the moment when Superman reveals that he's been using his x-ray vision to avoid seeing any of the screens that could infect. That him was the virus. real good. Yeah. That was, that's clever. Yeah. Which made me wonder, cause he used his heat vision last issue. So can he use those two powers simultaneously? Seems like he should have to switch back and forth between the two. And can but. he again, to take off what your, your superpower from last week idea, does he have to shut one off to do the other? Like, so when he's looking in X-ray vision, is he actively shutting down regular vision or could his brain yeah, that, process well, I, both things at once? In my mind, the way I always interpreted it is sort of like how, if you need to see something far away, you can squint. Mm-hmm. Like, for him, he can squint such that x-rays come out of his eyeballs or he's seeing the x-ray spectrum or he's seeing the infrared spectrum, which would like fire out his heat vision mm-hmm. or he can just use the visible light spectrum. To me, it's a power that he has to like shift what his eyes are, are doing. It's, it's like I've always imagined. It's it. like in his eyes is a device like that thing at the ophthalmologist mm-hmm. where they've they, yeah. worse, better <laughs> too. Yeah. So like he Never. just flips a switch and then. Yeah. That's what I figure. But as a person who who doesn't wear any sort of corrective lenses, it's to me it's just squinting really hard. Uh but you've done the test. You knew what I was talking about. No, I've never done the test. Oh, okay. Just, I only know that from pop culture. I, okay. I walk into the I walk into the optometrist, I read the chart down to the bottom line, I walk out. Yeah, okay. That must be nice. I liked that they addressed so there's always the thing in the zombie movie or or any zombie fiction where they have to deal with the fact that, like, are, do we just take out these zombies by fully killing them because they're trying to kill us? Or are we going to live in a world where there's a notion that they can come back to what they were before and try to preserve them somehow? And uh, Cyborg takes a hard, hard line stance on that. He does. Not unlike Frank Miller in the <laughs> mid 2000s. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I and I wasn't sure if I was like, is this going to be the debate? And I like that he sort of ended the argument. It's like no, no. Let's yeah. like we are there now. We've had the conversation for everybody's benefit. Let's kill them all. And I think that that sets your stakes. Like you're not going to save Batman. And also, they had already, they weren't going to be able to go backwards on that. You know what I mean? Because they already Batman was already like, no, I'm I'm fucked. And so once that happens, like you can't go. Oh, we could have saved him. That's I think that's bad storytelling. It's almost like they should have done this earlier. Um. I think the other thing that is really adept about the Tom Taylor stuff that I've been reading lately, um, this is a this is a rough comparison, but 
there's a Garth Ennis-like thing where oh, interesting. he has a lot of stuff that's over the top and then underneath it, he can very quickly put in a character moment um, that brings everything together. And it, like a lot of people can do sappy stuff, you know, like character, like sad, you know, the, the, you know, he, Batman's sad about Catwoman. He's, he's going having a hard time of it. And then other people can do big, crazy over the top stuff all the time. He's going right back and forth between the two of them really adeptly in this series in particular. Um, the, the, there's a bit where the bat plane comes through and you're like, wow, Batman's coming back. And it's not, it's Alfred and Alfred hands the stuff over to Damien. He's like, I'm sorry. And he was really proud of you. And he should have told you that every day. And they hug and you're like, Whew. like that was yeah. like, I think that's the best Damien story I've seen since Morrison and quietly did Batman and Robin. Um, and black lightning holding his daughters at the end. Yep. Yeah. There was a lot of that. And it, you know, the, it had played on the other, in the other issue where, you know, um, mocking, not Mockingbird, um, Dinah. Dinah becomes, I'm always going to get them mixed up, becomes the Green Lantern. And there's you know, like a little callback to that here where like, you're the Green Lantern now? And she's like, yep. And they move along, you know, but that has to do with everything that was involved with that because she had to, they had to kill him basically. Um, so it's a really nice undercurrent of emotion on top of sort of the big action stuff. You know, you still get a giant woman who gets a hole blown in her head and you can see the, you know, cyborg through the hole in her head. Uh, it's, it's a really nice balance basically. And I was it feels super... like if this is a techno-organic version of the anti-life equation, you would really want to keep Cyborg away from screens. Especially. I did. I did have that thought. He is a screen, more or less. So maybe he can't. Yeah, be... I kind of, I kind of wondered, like, or wouldn't it be cool if, like, the organic parts of Cyborg got infected, but he could shut those down enough and just run as uh-huh. a machine? I, Something I, like that. I assume he has like an antivirus. Ooh, yeah. Well, that like would make he's sense. not, he's not going to get corrupted in that way. I just, Isn't... I. Can I just say I love the anti-life equation every time? It, it's just such a uh, Kirby it's, man. It's pretty great. Chef's kiss. It's pretty. It's pretty great for a lot of reasons, but one is that like it's super flexible, and if you try to explain it, you ruin it. So you just let it be. Dark side is. You know, you you just if this is. Oh yeah, no, that's very scary. Why? Doesn't matter. It. it you know, like the, the the when they do like anti-life equation origin, that will be terrible. But until that day, uh, yeah, I'm hundred percent with you. I like it too. House of X, House of X, the, the, the Jonathan Hickman X-Men story that I wasn't sure if I would continue with because I historically uh, haven't held on to Jonathan Hickman stuff for all that long. After I get past the, the fact that it's very technically interesting, I do start to lose speed. That being said, um, I really liked this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it, to the point where I, I wrote to uh, former host of the show, Ron Richards, and I was like, is this Moira Taggart thing new? she always he's like no that's new and i was like yeah i was gonna say i assumed that was new when i read it and so in this issue we find out that uh moira mctaggart is a mutant uh whose power is to groundhog day Mm -hmm. and we get to walk through some of her early lives and what was interesting i guess it's not a day she has groundhog life yeah well what was interesting to me was that she wasn't just being reincarnated reincarnated later it was like she started over at the same time each time but having retained the information and knowledge that she had, you know, had previously. And I think that was great. Would you want that power? No, <laughs> no, I would find with the regrets made in one life. I mean, I mean, I like it in, 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 in the abstract, because, you know, it's that like, would you want to go back to high school? Like, would you tell yourself, what would you tell yourself in your twenties? And I was like, Oh, things would be very different. So maybe once, but not 
ad infinitum. Oh. Also, because yeah. you're experiencing the same places. And you know what? Maybe. I think it would drive me crazy. I think it would drive anybody crazy. Especially the part where you're a baby or a little kid and you can't. You couldn't like you couldn't take advantage of it or if you had to hide it or like I think that part would drive you nuts. Yeah, Is I can it, see that. Or you would just become a psychopath. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you literally I mean, I assume that part of the mutant power would be that you had the capacity to sort of keep all this stuff straight or whatever. But, you know, it feels like when you hit your start hitting your late 30s and your 40s, you start having a hard time remembering things. And then it's going to get real confusing. It's like, wait, was that this life or what? You know, like it's and so so something Jim pointed out last week is that there's a page that gets repeated in this book that I guess Hickman or somebody at Marvel said is like the most important page in X-Men history ever. Mm. And I guess the idea is it's because Moira knows more than Charles does about everything that's going on. I, I don't know. Maybe like they sort I, I can't tell if this issue is supposed to be the complete explanation for why that is, or if there's still more that we have yet to find out about why that one page is seemingly so significant. Which do we know which page we're talking about? It, it's the page um, where they're sitting on the bench talking to each other. The second time or the. F- I think it's the time. same page. Isn't it the same two pages in both books? They talk. I didn't go back. I, you I know what? I, I didn't actually read the last one. I have it here, but I didn't finish it before the show. So okay. they meet on page 18 of your digital reader here. And then they meet again uh, on page 26. So, right, but I'm I a, yeah, I was I was I was referring to the first issue that basically have this exact scene oh. of them on the park bench. Okay. The beginning of the I issue, probably I should have read that first, but I had already read this by that point, so I kind of didn't notice. Um the, we'll see. The, as a as a sort of extrapolation of what mutant stuff is and time travel and a character that has existed for a long time, I really it was it was some it was some pretty deft imagination, I think. I was I was like, "Oh, good. that's very good." That's good. That's good work. Um, so, so far I'm still in for this, which cool. I, I don't know that I expected. Um, Maybe it wasn't in the first issue and I just saw this as a preview. I don't know. Apparently, I, I don't know what life I'm in right now, Josh. Just for, forget about me. Leave me behind. I really like the art as well. I, I think Pepe yes. Larraz, uh, a name who seems familiar, but I can't place it anywhere. I was, you know, he's doing doing high level work here, I think. And I like um, I like the different paths they plot. For Moira, I think there's some interesting choices made there about how she tries to kind of solve humanity's mutant problem by mm-hmm. siding with the humans and then siding with Charles and siding with Magneto, then siding with Apocalypse. And she's kind of like running through all of her options uh, to see which actually gets the best outcome. And that's that's an interesting way to play it uh, from her perspective, I think. And the final chart was useful. And also, did you notice that Magneto has an amazing uh, scallop throne with a giant squid behind him? Yes. And I don't know why, because he's a mutant master of magnetism, not some sort of squid person. But um, I'm here for it. It looks really cool. And it's not. The palace itself does appear to have a sort of late 19th century nautical theme. And it's above ground. It's not like he's like hanging out in. It's got floating fire discs. I'm assuming it's a reference to some base Magneto had at some point sure. that I just don't know about, but uh, squid chair. Also interesting is that when in his squid chair, he does not have a helmet rest, so he has to hold it on his knee. Which you would think, like out of all the guys who would, you know, he'd have some place to do something to do with his metal helmet. He wouldn't just. You would think as a master of magnetism, he could treat it like the Novacore helmet, where it like mm-hmm. once he takes it off, it becomes floppy. Ooh, that always creeps like, me out. That's belt. weird. 
I know what you're talking about. I like when it shows up in the comic, but then as soon as I start to think about it, it falls apart. <laughs> um, so the, uh, Agents of Atlas, number one. I moved this from short into long because it's new and it was something to talk about. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to read this and I picked it up because I thought because I, I saw Jeff Parker's name is actually why I picked it up. Um, and then I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, oh, this is the Agents of Atlas now. I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, so there's sort of it's Greg Pak was doing the main story, right? Yep. And obviously, you know, Greg is a person who cares about diverse representation, especially of Asian and Asian American characters in comics. So um, the new Agents of Atlas are a very pan Asian centric team, which is cool. I mean, there's some there's some characters that I didn't know or are are legitimately new, and then there's some old favorites like your Shang Chi's, and there's a startup bro who has it's basically the villain of this is a startup bro which i'm also okay with uh sorry startup bros you've had your day in the sun but and we'll continue decided, to if we're gonna be honest yeah <laughs> uh, he's decided to connect all of a bunch of asia's mega cities through these portals so that anyone who's in seoul and wants to go to tokyo for the afternoon can just walk through this portal no passport no nothing and they get it free for a day first taste is free and then to keep doing it, they have to sign up for his app subscription tiered model thing. And um, and the agents of Atlas, especially Amadeus Cho, it, who's now goes by the name Braun, Brawny. Yeah, I guess. I guess he's like the paper towel guy. Go on. <laughs> is uh, is not OK with it and thinks that it will lead to bad things and then dragons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I felt a little like I should have probably it would have helped to have read some of the stuff that came before this yeah i guess there was a war of the realms tie-in that i yeah. skipped that had something to do with the why the dragons and most and all that other yeah stuff. i was having like like the first dragon the most the last muscle dragon they had taken i was like okay i get that i know what they're doing they're doing cleanup that's nice um the other dragons who all fly in i was i was kind of lost about um but you know it's fun getting to know you know new characters in a context that i, I kind of get um, and then you get to the backup. I, I didn't like, I didn't love the main story. It was, it was fun. It was fun. I don't know if I would keep I reading just it I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have enough context for the main story. Yeah. I don't think. And the characters aren't near and dear enough to me that I, I had emotional stakes in the characters. I'm starting to like, like, uh, brawn. Like when he shows up, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like it's, you know, super smart kid, Hulk powers. Let's see how this goes. And I've always liked Shang-Chi and I think it'll be cool yeah. to see what happens with that character as his movie is coming up. That's true. So. Uh, and then the backup story is the more traditional Agents of Atlas as we have known them by Jeff Parker oh. and uh, Carlo Peng- Pagulayan. Um, and I like that I, I didn't read it originally like way back when because I didn't like that kind of thing. But, but now it would be my favorite kind of thing. And when you I read mean just this, the gold, the golden age zaniness. Well, no, back then I was. Yeah. Yeah. But like when uh, Hardman and Parker did Agents of Atlas a while ago, like it was probably 10, 15 years ago now. Um, but now when I read this, I was like, oh, this is the good stuff. You know, it, it wasn't the good stuff to me back then. But now I've, my, my tastes have changed. Um, and it was I mean, because it's basically a team of people with iFanboy patron powers, if we're being yep. honest. Yep. Yep. 100 percent. 3D man. Venus. <laughs> it's a robot. Gorilla the Iranian. Man. Yeah. The, the, the 3D man is guy. It's, it's like triathlon. Like he's three is times. It, was, it triath- is, was his name triathlon or triathlete? The. Kurt Busiek Avengers character was triathlon. And okay. is this him? Is this the same guy? 
No, it can't. Wasn't he? Wasn't he a black guy? Yeah, this yeah. guy's Delroy Garrett. He's been colored to be sort of not white. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't. I guess it's I didn't the, pick up on that. The color. The same I, I must have this, enough of his face is covered up that I, I guess I didn't catch that. Yeah, I mean it could be. I don't know. We can check into that. Uh, you know, Venus has to sing, and she does. <laughs> she sings a song. <laughs> I think that page of her manifesting in the room uh-huh. with everybody, you know, suddenly what was a battle becomes a different kind of conquest. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I think that was probably my favorite page. Yeah, this I is... Didn't get, I didn't get for a second that she was singing Jolene, which is also really funny. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, it's it's hard for me not to appreciate how Parker, some of this Parker stuff can be. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, no, that's... I like this, because I like... This is, how, this is how he works best. He just is loose and having fun with this stuff. And unfortunately, I don't think there's enough call for it in mainstream comics. Uh, but that made it all worth it. I I really enjoyed that backup, and and the first part I had fun with. It was fine. Um, Delroy Garrett Jr. is also triathlon. There you go. See, brought him back. He recognized Did it. that that was one of the most ridiculous characters of all time. Yep. Oh, it's great. It's one of my favorite. I actually I didn't I didn't realize until we were talking about it that that's who it was. But I was I was looking. I was like, wait a minute. I think this is the same guy. Because who else who else is going to have that Del- same power set? Triathlon, I guess, is Delroy Garrett Jr. So I don't have time to read his entire fictional biography, but I'm guessing maybe he's 3D Man's son or something. Yeah. Delroy Garrett is is the name of a person of color thought of by a white guy trying to be cool. (laughs) It's there's a lot of those uh, in comics history. It's very obvious. Um. So can I can I can I I'm gonna, I'm gonna before we go into this part where I talk to people about uh, Patreon and supporting the show, which is very important. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a little anecdote here. Uh, this last week I was away, as you may have noticed, because I wasn't on the show, and I was at uh, a thing called Camp Fuzz, which was like a aging hipster indie rock camp uh, with Dinosaur Junior and various other people. Um, it was wonderful. One of the people there was uh, this guy Damian Abraham, who uh, is uh, he's in a he's in a punk rock band called fucked up uh from canada he's uh, done a lot of stuff uh with wrestling and he's got a vice show with that and he does a podcast called turned out a punk in which he interviews uh people from punk rock uh you know the history of punk and, and he knows a ton of stuff and i was chatting with him uh, as a professional courtesy i was like oh i was noticing when you were interviewing you did this and yeah it was very nice and we were talking about how you uh there's a certain point where he's like i, I don't know how long i'm gonna do it forever and i said well you know i was this is this is I guess is a scoop. I almost stopped doing this at some point, um, but it's right before we launched the patron uh, campaign, um, and it turned out that that was really significant enough that it it made time and financial sense to keep going. And he was like, I went through exactly the same thing, and so he has his patron. So I'm not saying uh, you know I I definitely would have stopped doing this if it wasn't for that, but it's a really big deal. Uh, in sort of justifying the amount of time and effort that all of this stuff takes out of my life uh, at this point. So that being said, um, you know, the folks who are supporting us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash iFanboy. Uh, if you haven't, uh, you know, that that's uh, it's a really good way to just sort of make sure that this is still going. And, and I myself really appreciate it. So I know I know it's a big part of Connor's life in the same way. Um, and, and a lot of what we do is is definitely supported by that very directly so when you take part of that you are saying you know to us like no what you do is really important to me and people say that all the time and it's one thing to say that all the time but we have bills basically um but in addition to that we want to give back i think that's really made us double down on 
really making sure that we had the show up to the quality that um that we expect every week you know and you know having ryan and and jim on last week was not we wouldn't have let anybody do that if we didn't think it was going to be just as good as any other episode we did like that's a that's how we take it really seriously we would have figured out a way to do a show or i would have done one by myself or whatever but i can trust them because we owe you guys when when you guys were running the website once a year there would be an all writer show yeah which was, I mean, and, and those were fun, but it, they were run a little bit differently because it was usually four or five people on the mic instead of it's of a two hander or yeah. three hander. But yeah, doing, you know, doing the first show without either you or Connor during the patron era, like Jim and I both recognized that, that we needed to, to be there and to show up yeah. in a sense and, and do it right. Because otherwise, you know, what are we what are we here for? Yeah. And, and you know, that, that all has to do with like you guys are giving us your trust and you know in cases money um so we take that really seriously in the same way that we do in fact more so than we do with like when we have advertisements or something like that um so it's just a really important part of what we do and what a lot of content content creators do where it's not enough to make a living out of um but it is enough that you take it seriously you do it professionally you do all that stuff anyway so we have stretch goals uh we've hit a lot of them there's talk splits and book splits because of it the next one will be uh, you know, I, I kind of want it to happen, and I kind of don't. Uh, the non-media, non-comics media podcast we will be doing monthly. I don't know how it fit that in. Um, and we're somehow going to upload all the uh, video shows and minis to YouTube and re-embed them on the website, which is uh, it's like Project Zeus. It's it's quite a lot of things. Anyway, uh, that was a thing. But it, you know, like it, you know, it, if you love a thing, uh, it, you can do a little bit to support it. I think it really helps the people doing it, not just us, but other people. Uh, you can also go to ifanboy.threadless.com. You can find shirts. Or, or mugs or uh, shower curtains or bath mats or anything that you want to print one of our little designs on, you go for it and you order it. There are seven designs up there right now. If you don't want to deal with any of that and you're just like, you know what, where's the tip jar? Well, you can go over to uh, ifanboy.com slash support and you can send a direct donation via, via PayPal. And finally, there's ifanboy.com slash Amazon where you can uh, find links to buy books that we talk about in our Booksplode. You'll always find a link for the pick of the week. Um, and also just a general link to go into Amazon to uh basically you you purchase things the same way that we do it anywhere uh but that helps us uh it's it's so it's so non-intrusive isn't it it's just it's it's a lovely way to do things um that's all with that so let's let's get back to these books i know that i did not put old man quill in here but you put old man quill in here which was nice because usually i'm the only one no heck yeah this is a great series yeah i, I was excited to talk about it this week uh the last issue i believe was pick of the week yep and in this issue, so we've just learned that uh, all the Guardians except Quill died, and Quill has been just imagining them or, or, you know, mentally bringing them with him on his quest. And in this issue, we see how they all die. It kind of sucks. Yeah, it's it's a lot like in Deceased, which the last issue, that was also uh, the pick of the week, where, you know, like it, there's a finality to it. Which they can do in this sort of other world, you know, old man universe or something. And yeah, it and works so they're, really they're, well. They're on a ship uh, controlled by this, you know, religious group that they're fighting against. And they're trying to find what the Guardians are trying to find, what they think is going to be the weapon to defeat Galactus. And it's Silver Surfer hooked up as a, a battery. And Silver Surfer is not strong enough to help them. But basically, he's strong enough to give them the information about the ultimate nullifier still on Earth somewhere that they're then able to transmit to Quill before they, they all die. And it's kind of sad because it's like, you know, they think they're going on this mission to unlock the weapon that's going to, A, get them out of the jam that they know they're putting themselves in by going on the mission, and B, solve the ultimate threat, and to realize that 
all they were basically doing is going and getting a map. Um, it's a little heartbreaking. It's a great page turn. Yeah. Where they're like, all right, we've made it. We've made it all the way through. And then you see, you know, the Silver Surfer taking up the whole page and and sort of slumped over and, and you know, not shiny. Uh, and it's a real, you know, and then you kind of remember, oh, right, this is in the past. We already know what happens here. It's real bad. Um, it's it, it, this 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 series has been fun because it wasn't at first. I was like, I don't know if this is also going to be good because I had high hopes, you know, coming out of old man Hawkeye. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just has built and built and built and it's, it's still really enjoyable while being separate on its own. It really doesn't feel like it's in the same universe. It has the same name, but it's a different kind of story than old man Hawkeye was. It also, it makes sense that eventually in the Marvel universe, there would be a group of people who would worship Galactus as a God. hundred percent. Like that's just, to me, it's amazing that nobody's done that before. Yeah. Uh, so I like that, and I like that it's just played straight ahead. Like this guy is a devourer of worlds, and he survived from a previous universe. Like it's all—I mean, I think there are actual religions on Earth that have philosophies not too dissimilar from something like that. Um, it's one is- of the really interesting things about the Marvel universe, because and in the DC also, but you know, uh, you know, how do these characters reconcile themselves to those things? Whereas, you know, Earth religion is based based largely on faith. You know. It's what some and, people would uh, say anyway. So, with, with that, that in mind... <laughs> but also Hulkbuster Quill. I just want to end on that. Yeah, that was, that was pretty sweet. Um, yeah, so then over in, in Daredevil 9, you've got Matt Murdock, like, soul-searching to figure out... In a way that I have not seen this direct in a long time. They really tiptoe around his faith. And and right here, Zdarsky's like, no, no, we're going we're gonna to name this right on. Um, and he goes and has a conversation with Reed Richards uh, in the park about sort of the nature of God and 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 what to expect. And uh, the writing was really strong. Wasn't exactly the adventure story you come to expect with this stuff all the time, but um, it was nice. I thought it was really pretty well done. Do the chessboards in Central Park actually have little pinholes in them like that? I didn't know I that was a thing. I don't know. Okay. I don't know where there are chessboards in Central Park. I mean, it's such a trope of, like, New York stories, though. I feel like it's usually not in Central Park, though. Usually, oh, it's not in Central Park? Okay. I know Washington Square Park has them. I'm sure they're I'm somewhere a... in, in Central Yeah, so Park. I really I really liked those first couple of pages leading up to the title page. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I, like, I think, like we said, Reed's take on this is really authentic because in our world... Uh, most scientists, especially at Reed's level, don't believe in a god. Um, I think in the National Academy of Sciences, the people who have any sort of faith are about 15%, which is completely flipped from the rest of society where it's only 15% of people that don't have any belief. Mm-hmm. But Reed's encountered things that make it a much more complicated question within the Marvel Universe, and so he comes down on a more agnostic, like, it's just too hard for me to say because I've met Galactus and I've met Jack Kirby and <laughs> I've, you know, had these things that that just make it so that I can't pin it down to any one thing. And that just, it, it's, it feels like a valid reading of the situation by Reed, and which makes this conversation with Matt, who is desperate to find some sort of faith to cling to, that much more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to that extent, like, when you said that, I was like, there were other things in the issue. And I struggled no, I, for a I, minute I, I, to yeah. find out what there's there's two other main things that happened. Um, I kind of wish I'd stopped reading after the title page. If I'm well, honest. I kind of like and I kind of don't like the thing that's happening with the cop. Agreed. 
like there's things about it I like, and there's others where I feel like it's a little ham-fisted, and I'd rather just get it over with. Um, all the police officers trap him in an interrogation room because he's the one good cop, and he's ratting everybody out. And some of them work for the owl, and some of them don't, but they're with him too. The sort of thin blue line everybody sticks together, you know, sort of goes against him. Um, it's like sort of interesting, but I don't think it's being executed particularly well. Sort of my take on it. I want to like it, but don't. Um, and then finally, the uh, the sexy librarian, bookstore wife of a mob boss, um, had this weird scene in the last couple issues. That was that whole thing's been weird, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah I don't like it. Yeah, it's I, too many things. And I, we've it's it's come up on the show uh, somewhat regularly of late, but I kind of think the art is letting this book down a little bit. So. I was thinking about this because I know that this comes up a lot, and and quite honestly, uh, my my partner on this show here, uh, he will sometimes we will send each other bits of art. We'll say, "What is you know? Look at how great this is, or look how terrible this is." Um, and he sent me a few from Daredevil, and at a basic level, I actually there's something about this artist, uh, Lalit Kumar Sharma. I don't know, uh, I, I can't tell much from that name. Um, to, you know, there's something there I do like. Also, there's an inker, Jay Leaston, and a, and a colorist who uh, have a Tartalia, who I've never heard of any of these people. So I think that what we're getting here is like, I don't know where the problem lies. I think, you know, a lot of times it's going to be the, the penciler, sort of the root of things. There's stuff I like there, but I don't think it's fully formed yet. I don't think it's ready for prime time. If this stuff was on, a, on a, an image book or a Dark Horse book or something like that, I don't know that I would, I would be quite so hard on it. I had that same thought. Yeah, I definitely thought that if I saw this book as a you know, Boom Studios or IDW or one of those yeah. publishers where people come up in the ranks, I think it would be perfectly serviceable. It just feels like uh, it's going. Yeah, it's not slick enough. It's not it's not fully formed enough for sort of professional primetime comic book making. And then they they get it. They get it on, which I thought was really I, I really. It's funny because if you're watching a movie, you'd be like, oh, that's what would have to happen here. But in a comic book, I don't really expect them to go there. I, f- I figure they skirt around stuff like this. Nope. She just wraps her legs around them and they go at it. And I was like, well, all right, mm-hmm. there's, there's drama there. So you can and she's, and she's right. married, too. Yes, like, that's to a mob boss. That, yeah. That's the other thing of like, you know, Matt Mordock spends right. the whole issue worrying about his Catholic morality, but then he goes and commits a cardinal sin. Well, that's why, that's why it was the right choice. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was like Chekhov's penis. Like it. Like that needed to happen. I was like, if they don't do this here, they're they're taking the easier choice. You know, um, I thought it was the right thing, but it's it was uncomfortable, but not necessarily in a bad way. I didn't read uh, Sensational Spider-Man number one, but when I was writing down the script, I saw the names and I was like, oh man, I want to read this. Yeah, this was um this was some throwbacky goodness. So this is one of those like scripted by an old pro based on an earlier idea books that Marvel has been doing. I don't, yeah. do they have a name for that? I don't know, <laughs> but I, I, re- I recognized what it was like after the fact. I was like, Oh, this is another one of these, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't so, know what ties them together. It, it's, it's another two stories in one issue, similar to agents of Atlas, where the first issue is Spider-Man. Uh, it's, script by Peter David based on a plot by Randy Schuler with pencils by Rick Leonardi. Uh, and it's a story about Spider-Man fighting a flame based person. I can't remember the guy's name, right? A firebrand. And so 
he gets burned very badly. Reed Richards hooks him up with a fireproof suit, but it's black. And this is before Spider-Man gets the symbiote suit. And the design is very clearly like a prototype of the symbiote suit. And Spider-Man goes out and he has trouble using the suit. He accidentally, he tries to like swing off a helicopter like he does from time to time, but the web shooters are in a different spot. So he ends up, he ends up shooting the web in the helicopter's rotors and bringing the helicopter down. <laughs> but he brings it down. He, he saves it. He brings it yeah. up safely on the top of the Daily Bugle. <laughs> so then, so then, you know, uh, J. Jonah Jameson is like, of course, like, you know, he did this on purpose. He's a menace. And the, and the helicopter pilots are like, yeah, but he did save us. And he's like, he only webbed you up so he could save you. And it's just, it's, um, it's wacky. It's good. And then people are freaked out by him in a black suit. So they're not treating him like a hero. Um, so he returns the suit to Reed just saying like, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to wear black. I think I stick, need to stick to the red and blue just cause people aren't ready for a hero dressed in black. Um, but thanks. I appreciate it. And then, you know, this whole idea for this story came about before the symbiote costume. So it's just kind of a cool, I, I don't know if you'd even call it a retcon, but it's just a cool thought experiment about like how that era of Spider-Man could have gone a little differently. Um, and then the sex, the second story is by Tom DeFalco and Ron friends. And it's about Spider-Man, uh, meeting a kid, another kid named Peter, whose uncle was shot and killed. And the uncle was shot and killed because this Peter did the right thing and didn't help the criminal in that moment where he had a choice and his uncle still got shot and killed. So it's this whole idea of like, maybe it didn't matter so much that, that Peter didn't do the right thing in that moment because sometimes even if you have no power uh, and you still try to do the right thing, you're faced with some pretty dire consequences. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, and I just want to touch on the art, really, because I didn't read it, but I'm looking through it, and I was really excited to see Rick Leonardi, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema. Like, more excited than maybe I should be. Um, the only problem I have is that I hate when you have a person who, you know, did art in a different, who's primarily associated with a different time and a different style, and you try to color it like a modern comic book, it always looks weird. And like all that texturing and stuff. it's all that it's like all that late 90s, early 2000s stuff where they haven't mm -hmm. sorted it out and it just doesn't fit. So there's a lot of really good Rick Leonardi stuff in here. Uh, there's a couple pages that don't work and that are weird. Um, there's one page where I actually think the panel sequences break the 180 degree rule, but I didn't mm -hmm. go to film school. So I'm not totally clear on how that rule works. But when I read the panels, I just thought that the the positioning of the bodies were off when it went from panel to panel in a way that I thought made sense. If you swung the camera around in that mm -hmm. way, you're not supposed to, but I'm that rule, you know, if you're really good, you can break it. I think, cause it's hard to explain sometimes. Like if you're just moving the camera around, I don't know. Um, yeah, but those are the guys who you would want very much to like have their storytelling down pat. And then as you sort of get into that second story, um, where Chris Sotomayor, I think did a better job. Coloring. The 180 degree rule was in the second story. Okay. I should have been more clear. Um, and that's the Sal Busma inks are the best in this. Like they look so good. I, I'm Chunky. Just, yeah. Oh, it's and it's just the little pen marks and everything. Like the colorist doesn't have a lot of room to screw it up because everything has ink on it and, and not in a, not in a bad way. It's fun. I really liked that. So, yeah, this was fun. This was another, all, all of these that I've read, these little throwbacky things have been a ton of fun and, um, work surprisingly well as modern comics, even though they're complete throwbacks to an earlier era. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me what you think of Sea of Stars. I love this book. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, what if the, you know, what if Andy Wears the Martian was just bonkers? Yeah, it's pretty, and, pretty nuts. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's great. So um, I, I know you're a huge fan of the art and I totally agree with you. Um, 
art's art's fantastic. And yeah, I, I don't have a ton to say other than I just think this is a great story and I, I'm it's only two issues in, but I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, it's that's that's kind of the deal. It's 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 a little of everything. It's almost a little hard for me to pin down still, but I love how much imagination is on the page. And, you know, Stephen Green, you know, he should have been he should have been a known name five, ten years ago, uh, at least five years ago. I don't know if he was doing enough ten years ago. Probably. I'm, I met him around then. Um, but he's just he's just destroying things. And, and, and Rico Renzi is doing a beautiful job with the colors, um, which are slightly reminiscent of the color scheme uh, in Saga, actually, is the yes. other thing I noticed as I was reading it. And um, it is a hard book to pin down, but the tagline that they use on the back of the issues, the mm-hmm. a father, a son, and a whole lot of space between them, yeah. I think is, that's poetry. That's beautiful. That's pretty good. That's, that's an Eisner-level pitch. Um, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's really great. Keep reading it. Um, pick of the week this week, or I'm sorry, patron pick this week. Thanks to the patrons, everybody who, uh, everybody who's a patron of any stripe uh, gets to vote. Uh, and this week, it wasn't the runaway winner. It was it was the clear winner, but it it was a plurality, not a majority. It was Absolute Carnage number one from Donny Cates, uh, Ryan Stegman, and, and J.P. Mayer, with colors by Frank Martin, and letters by Clayton Cowles. We've come around to him again. He's been on at least three of these books today. Um, I think it's awesome that Tom King was like, no, I, I want him to do my books over at DC, and he doesn't do any other DC work other than Tom King stuff. Um, there's a little lettering thing. Uh, I was not looking forward to reading this but I enjoyed reading this. Yeah, I was excited. I read this before I even knew it was a patron pick. Um, I'd seen a few panels get shared around on Twitter before I had a chance to read it, and I was already looking forward to Ryan Stegman's art, but man, his Spider-Man is so good. It's pretty good, yeah. It's one of those, like, you know, I really like both of the main creators on these on these books, but I really don't care about Venom. And I, I read some of Donny Cates' Venom when he first started, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to leave this to the Venom people. Um, you know, and it sort of came in and out, but this sort of refocused a little bit instead of all the, the massive God stuff. It's just, you know, basically I like all the bits with Eddie Brock and the kid and Peter Parker. I don't care about the space planet of the God Venoms and I don't really like Carnage all that much. He's a good villain. So if it was just like them in a diner trying to work things out, I'd be fine with that. And that the best, was the best scene yeah. for sure. Yeah, and then, and then then you know the subset of that scene being like the bad guys come in. Oh come on, you know. Like, and so he takes the bad guys out, you know, while they're still having their conversation. Spider Man barely paying attention to them. Um, well, yeah, and and like and Spider Man and Eddie just being like, flip a coin. Nah, you take it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was fun. The one thing I Donny Cates is really good at this kind of stuff. And so one thing he's done here is. The kid that is palling around with Eddie Brock is Eddie Brock's biological son, but doesn't know that he's Eddie Brock's biological son because he was raised by Eddie Brock's father to believe that he was his uh, younger brother. Mm-hmm. And one thing Donny Cates always does really well is create these interesting parallel dynamics between characters. So here you have Carnage, which is the son of the Venom symbiote. And now we've got Eddie Brock's actual human son. And so now it's like Eddie Brock is having to to save one son from the other of mm-hmm. his two boring personalities that have always been at war already and that's a cool dynamic and i think donny cates is really good at setting those things up i hadn't noticed that but that's a very nice parallel structure isn't it and then uh we also in donny cates's venom book the maker which is the ultimate universe's reed richards has been a, a central figure and they go and meet him and this is um peter parker's first time meeting him even though peter knows miles so he's familiar with the, right. the ultimate universe 
And I love that they still use the lowercase ultimate lettering for those characters that are that are holdovers from that universe, because it just it makes it, it really does to me give that sensation of like, oh, it's just a little off. Like, it's not quite right. You don't belong in this book. And I don't think I noticed that, but I did have that feeling. So maybe that's what it was. Yeah, it's cool. It's, sure. a, it's such a nice touch. And I think it really um, the, the way the ultimate universe ended, uh, I think it did not stick the landing, nor could it have. But right. um, if we got anything out of it, and it's these some of these kind of cool characters that don't really fit, but are here anyway. And, and that's that's fun, too. So also, there's a Watchmen joke in that scene. There's a lot of I felt like and the the little uh, stuff at the end with mm-hmm. Cletus Cassidy felt very Watchmeny. Yeah. Yeah. But there's the there's the bit where the makers like you require a machine. Well, here we are. I built it 35 days ago. And I was like, ooh, smooth. And also, I think it's weird that the maker looks like a xenomorph. Like, have you noticed? Like, did you notice that? I was like, oh, he's an alien. He's the alien. I, I think I think it's because didn't Ultimate Universe read his face is all scarred up and he like extended his head back to give his brain more yeah. room. But in these yeah. images, he looks like he literally looks like one of the aliens, like his lip is curling around and like the, his his, his uh, silhouette is the same as a xenomorph. I don't really know yeah. what that's about. I don't mind it. It's still, not a criticism. He's still stretchy. Sure. Um, I, I almost missed the second half of this. I was like, oh, I guess it's that long, was it. It's a yeah, long patron pick. Um, and I also, the only, the only other thing I really took out of it is that, like, there's a friendly Venom face. Like, yeah, I didn't know they, that existed. And, like, when he's not on Eddie, you know, and he's, he's sort of around, like, he's got, a, oh, he's got a nice little face with little sort of bug eyes. Um, but the teeth aren't always ever present. And I, I find it very, I don't like it or dislike it, but I find it very interesting that like it's this recasting of who Venom is, you know, based on the movie and based on sort of like they need him to be a character who isn't fully evil. You know, he was a great bad guy for a while and now he's somewhere in between, but more leaning towards, you know, one of the heroes, you know. Plus, as you and Connor have discussed, you can't just throw away that costume design. No. You've got to use it somewhere. Yeah, that's true. I don't like the mouth. I like friendly Venom. I was, I was, I was like, oh, that looks good. That works. It's got a little mouth. It's nice. So, you know, I, I, it wasn't, it's not, it's not my favorite thing. Like, it's, a, it's like a genre I'm not into, but it was, it was well done and good. And, you know, Stegman and the, and the Frank Martin colors together, I think really, it, it was a thing. It was a really good looking book. It was like, oh, all yeah. the efforts there on the page, you can see it. So that brings us to ratings. 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 Why don't you go first? I, ooh, I actually liked this a lot. I think I liked it 4.25. It feels artificially low just because I, I think Carnage, it's just it's such a mixed bag of 90s nonsense. But um, yeah. yeah, 4.25. Okay, then I'm going to say 3.75. Um, I think that's you fair. I think, I think if I said 4, I would be lying. Um, I think it depends on the week. I, I think know. I will stick with this. Yeah. I probably I don't know if there's going to be a bunch of tie-ins. If there's a bunch of tie-ins, I'll probably lose interest. But if it's just this one book, I think mm-hmm. I can hang on with this. this one. Is it? Do we know? Is this a miniseries or is this like an I ongoing? Don't, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so, since you guys shut down the website, I I don't really go read news anywhere else. So. I didn't I didn't even know then. So that was that. Uh, if you want to vote on that, make sure that you go to uh, Patreon like Patreon.com slash ifanboy. Uh, and then also, if you do that. At the $5 a month or higher level, you 
will be on the list to be a recipient of one of our patron powers uh, as doled out by the team. Uh, whoever happens to your name, get your name. I will go first, uh, and then, uh, Ryan, you will take the C that was written there for Connor, which I did not change. So there. Okay, I, I, I was able to figure that one out. Russell Skogstad. Russell Skogstad. Um, has an adjustable personal space bubble. Um, so he can control how close people get to him. They don't really realize it. It's not a tactile thing. It's just they, they give him space around it. Um, also, that uh, bubble is waterproof, so you can't have anything spilled on you, like, for example, a beer thrown at you just as a concert starts and there's people are crowding all around you. You can make a little space and stay dry. Can he expand the bubble? Yep. How much control does he have over the bubble? It's a It's a rough... You know, like, you know, like if you had, if you, if you wanted to push people away from you, you have like your arm's length to sort of like imagine stretching your arms out. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I need that much room, you know, or you bring your elbows in or you stick them out a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he could, he could, and, and that's, people just stay out of that area. They don't really know why, you know, but like on a plane, that could be problematic. Oh like he yeah. Gets, he gets the middle seat and, and well, you please take your seat. I can't. <laughs> Well, just um, it sort of reminds me of how in Fables there were all those spells in place to make any non-magical person just kind of get distracted and wander away from Fable yes. Town. Yeah, that's a very good explanation. Of, I, I think that people don't realize why it's happening. It's just It just gives them a little space. But he can let people close if he wants. Yes. Yeah, it is It is adjustable. It's not It's not infinite. So it's like, like arm's length. Just, you know, right, like, right. But, um, but I also worry on the other end, like, it's, you know... Is he allowed intimacy in his life? Yes, absolutely. Let's really that get would, into this. Let's talk. I'm that would be unfair. He can, he can, he can pull it in or out well, as much as possible. I gosh, mean, sometimes these powers are unfair. To be fair, I know that, but we're not doing that to Russell today. You know, to be fair, your your skin is a barrier. It stops there. That's where his field starts. Okay. So he can have so contact. Just gotta, just he can a little extra. Yep. Just a little, little extra just, sauce. Just a little breathing room. Little, you know, walking down the walking through Times Square for him is not so bad. Uh, Kendall Wilson has got a guy. Uh huh. So like, anytime you need anything, if Kendall pulls out <laughs> his phone, he he may not even realize it, but as soon as he starts cro- scrolling through his phone, like there's a guy in the phone for whatever it is you need, and he can do it for you. It's not all just about what Kendall needs. He can help his friends out. Mm-hmm. So it's like if if you need you know if you need a bunch of helium for a kid's birthday party he's like i got a guy and he pulls out his phone and he scrolls down to helium guy and he calls it and somebody answers and and that guy knows him too like that guy's like kendall and he's like what's up man i haven't heard from you in a while like, yeah, but can you hook me up on this saturday and he says absolutely 100 percent, yeah good but rate. no matter what yeah i mean it's not it's not everybody's doing anything for free but it's a good rate it's fair it's timely mm-hmm. you know it's, they're, they're good guys like if you ask friends kendall and friends and family discount yeah, no, and I'm I'm not taking over your power here, but I'm guessing like, oh man, I got my roof really needs somebody. I don't know how to find Kendall's. Like, I got you. Well, because I mean, I live, you know, I live in a big city, and and uh, my wife and I actually own our apartment. And so now that we're homeowners, like there are times where we need somebody, and yeah. even we'll ask all of our friends, and they don't have a guy. Nobody's got a guy because ha- having, we live in- having been a homeowner for eight or nine years now, the coterie of of guys that I do have. I, I I treasure them, like my right. my 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 mechanic guy, not the cheapest guy around, but I trust him. He's gonna do the job. He's gonna take care of me. My plumber, love my plumber. Guys, and yeah, 
Kendall's got that for anything. Or our vet. No our vet. Our lady. She's a lady. I just don't want to make it sound like they're all guys. That's no, it's, it's a non, non-gendered guy. Yeah, but yeah, I got it. They got a guy for that. Because you on. don't say I, I've got a person. You say no. I got a guy. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what it is. You know. I do. Yeah. You interpreted it correctly, John. Alan David Muir. That's a great name. Of the Woods family. I want to go <laughs> hiking with that guy so bad. Yeah. And you, it would be like, that's really, that was really reflective and thoughtful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's right. We just did John Muir jokes. Just in case you were wondering how, how niche we were going to get. Um, what do you think the I've percentage of John uh, jokes on the show before? What do you think the percentage of the people listening are like, oh yeah, John Muir, totally. One. One. <laughs> you think one? It's that low? I think so. I was going to say like 30. I think you got a lot of indoor kids on. on the <laughs> yeah, but there was a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess I didn't realize if they uh, would know it based on lived in experience or yeah. absorbing it through a screen. Yeah, I know about it because I took it a, a U.S. environmental history class in college. I know about it because I backpacked in Yosemite. Well, there's that. You're, yeah, I hadn't been on the West Coast at that point. So listen, and oddly enough. Uh, Alan Dave Muir's power uh, is that um, he can adjust movie start times to be the most convenient. That Oh, I could have used that last week. Right? Really- so, like, you want to go see it, and it's at 6 or 9. Well, 6 is too early, and 9 is too late. And so he just... little energy feel goes around. Everything reshuffles itself. No one else what knows sh- it's happening, but it starts when you need it to. What a shame that this power only came about after MoviePass has already gone under. That's a good point. But you, you can't have everybody doing it. There would be a, it would be a paradox. No, but I mean, if he had MoviePass, uh-huh. that would have been he would have been living his best life because he could just walk into the theater whenever. Yeah. And the movie he wanted to see would be showing at that time. Well, if he has an AMC in his town, it's all is not lost. So does he have to actively activate the power or when he shows up, does time just warp Ooh, around him? That's a good question. I'm going to say at first it was active and then now he just does it without thinking about it. You know, like, right. Okay, that's cool. I like that. Kind of like how like Jean Grey couldn't filter out thoughts at first, but then learn. Yeah. Kind of like, like, through. like, do you want to go to the movies? Sure. What's playing? Don't worry about it. We'll be fine when we get there. Hey, look, nice. it's starting right now. <laughs> Your powers this week have been very just like passively beneficial. Yeah, well, I can, I can use all the help I can get. <laughs> uh, Dave Cambrian can survive a mass extinction. Oh, that's that's going to suck for him after. Yeah, I mean, he'll be lonely for sure, but it doesn't matter what the what caused the extinction. Like he could have been standing uh-huh. in what would then become the town of Chicxulub, Mexico, when the asteroid hit and he'd be fine. Huh. Does he have to be slightly underground or? Nope. OK, just, so it's it, just mass extinctions just do not affect him. How big, <laughs> like, it has to be an extinction level event, though. A mass extinction level yeah. event. What is the, what is the so, definition of that? So there's always a background extinction rate amongst living organisms on sure. Earth. So things are constantly going extinct and new forms are evolving. Sure. Uh, there's only been five mass extinctions, maybe six if you count the time the atmosphere became oxygenated, uh-huh. uh, which would have killed a lot of things that oxygen was toxic to, but sure. that was a you know, single cellular world at that time. Um, so yeah, there've been five major mass extinctions and then there's people that argue about whether or not we're heading into, uh, a sixth major mass extinction, an upcoming episode of my podcast. I will be interviewing a guy who writes about that. Uh, he wrote a book called the ends of the world. And essentially a uh, mass extinction is when you have a cascading failure of your biosphere such that, you know, more than 50% of life on earth is going to go extinct. Okay. When was the last one? 
The last one was the end Cretaceous extinction, the KPG, when the asteroid hit and killed all the non-avian dinosaurs. There wow. was a pretty big one at the end of the last ice age, 11 to 10,000 years ago, but it it was a sized bias extinction where only animals over about 100 kilograms went extinct, so that oh, doesn't count as a mass the, the, the megafauna. Mm-hmm. The megafaunal extinction, yep. I'm, I'm reading Guns, Germs, and Steel, and I've learned a lot. Yeah, so any of the major five mass extinction events, which had different triggers, mm-hmm. um... Uh, it, and I, I came up with this one because his name is Cambrian, and the Cambrian explosion was the great diversification of uh, multicellular animal life on Earth. So you know, you gotta give a nod to that. Right. And, sure. Um, <laughs> and uh, this book that I was reading, The Ends of the World, basically four out of the five of the major mass extinctions happened because there was an imbalance of carbon in mm-hmm. our atmosphere, carbon dioxide. Oh, I see where you're going and with this. It was only the one where the asteroid hit, and even that one it's debated that it might have been an asteroid hit at a time when there was already a lot of volcanism happening, so there was already too much carbon in the atmosphere. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a sobering book. It's a sobering read. Doesn't, it doesn't uh, sound like something I'd want to read, honestly. Yeah, because if you don't have enough carbon in your atmosphere, then Earth just freezes solid, and you get icebox Earth, and uh-huh. you get too much carbon in your atmosphere, and you get hothouse Earth, and everything melts, and everything floods, and I'm telling neither you. is good. Do you know what, uh, you know that Dave's mom... She was pre-Cambrian. <laughs> yeah. Ediacaran life form. It's, we don't have as much information about her, but uh, yeah. she was there. Uh, I think I think we have time to do one of these. If I was smart, I'd be stopping, but let's let's do one of these. Um, what, what do you think? Tyler, Patrick or Brian? Just pick pick your heart. Just 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 throw a dart, whatever it is you want to do. Patrick. Patrick from North Carolina says, I've been thinking about this question since the last issue of Ex Machina came out, and I've always thought Ex Machina would make a great TV show for either HBO, Prime, etc. So a place that makes original programming, basically. Uh, I wondered, with your background in television and film, that's a stretch. How would you display (laughs) Mitchell 100 slash The Great Machine's power of being able to speak to machines? Would you not change his voice at all, or would you think that a filter would work in his voice or make it more obvious that he's talking to a machine? And I had to think hard about what it looked like in the comic book. And now I remember the lettering was different when he did the machine talk, like the word and of God. And the circuitry on his face glowed. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But I mean, and they also did that. With, how did they do it with Jesse Custer in the show? I don't think I got that far. Yeah, I didn't either. Okay. His, eye, his eyes glowed red. I think I've watched two episodes. Um, um, yeah, I mean, you cast T-Pain and you're done. So basically... The first thing I thought of was, and this is a joke answer, uh, is that he just opens his mouth and you hear like a late 90s dial up sound. Modem sounds. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> and then it does it. But he I remember him like yelling at the machines like they were people. So he would definitely say something It would just be machine sounds. I guess I don't remember if in the world of Ex Machina, if when he does that, when he speaks to machines around other people, I don't remember how the other people perceived it. Well, I think and that, I think and that's, that's his question. That's the part that you yeah. that he's he's asking us to uh, ideate. Um, so I think you can I think you could play it both ways. Where I think if it's relevant to the story that we know what he's saying to the machine, then I think you would just yeah you would do some sort of auto tune, and and make a glowy some sort of visual effect paired with an auto tune like sound. But I think if you were showing that scene from the perspective of someone else in the room, then maybe it's more interesting to make it. In unintelligible digital gobbledygook. See, I'm going to have to disagree with you here. 
Okay. Because he doesn't actually know how to consciously speak the machine speak. He just starts talking and then whatever mechanisms in him do that. So he is speaking True. English, but it's coming out in a different, you know, way. So I, I tend to think like you're going to hear the words. It might be flattened a little bit. It won't have the same. It'll be his voice, but there will be like, I was going to say like uh, electronic noise around it or, or sound around, you know, like that, that sort of goes along with it. Um. So it's sort of translating it simultaneously to sort of some sort of sound wave based trick. It doesn't have to make sense. Um, I guess the other, the other thing I wanted to ask you in the context of this question is, do you agree with Patrick that Ex Machina would make a great TV show? And especially because I've been following along with you tweeting about the boys, which I don't think either of us would have argued would have made a great TV show. But here we stand corrected. Um, yeah, I think it actually would. I think out of sort of, I mean, on paper. It's very it has it has elements of episodic, but then also case of the week things. So you could sort of get away with stuff as you're watching him learn how this thing works. The sitch, the setup is interesting that he's mayor of New York. If you remember, the the very bold thing about it was that the first issue, um, he stops nine eleven from happening. Um, I, but he I, only I, saves one tower. Yeah, but yeah, he, only, he only got up. He only got up in the air after the first. Either way, it was the very first fictional representation of that that i had experienced after it happened and it, it stuck with me i was like oh i think it was pick of the week actually because we were still doing we were we had started by that point um and yeah i think i mean i think if you did like west it, west wing with superpowers yeah which like, is the book cool, that's which a cool I've, show. i have pitched that book like actually actually stephen green uh of uh sea of stars and i pitched that book not not the but like like bureaucracy in a superhero city um, it was great. I don't know why they didn't pick it up. Um, I think it would be, I mean, but it's like anything like it, it, it depends on who's making it and how, you know, like on, on paper, does preacher make sense as a show? I guess, you know, but it didn't work. Why did the boys, well, it makes sense as a show. If you give them the budget to do a road trip show, yes. not yeah, keep but in one spot, honestly, I still think that that story, I don't think it's got enough wide appeal. I think it's too. It's too nuanced. It's too, like stuff that it's stuff that works in a comic book form, you know. But it's not like the it's not like uh, Rogan and Goldberg didn't learn, you know, like like translating Ennis. They they didn't get it right the first time, and the second time they did. Although they had to seem to have a much higher budget on the boys. Yeah, no, I, I I'm not through with season one yet, but the few episodes I've watched, I have really enjoyed. It's really good, and it's one of those ones where you can tell other people, you know, like you don't. You don't need to have. I don't. I also don't know if Preacher was bad just because I love Preacher. You know what I mean? That might be. That might be a key difference there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's my favorite comic book of all time, and I consider it to be, you know, a sacred text. So I, I'm not going to be able to judge that. And, and then on the other hand, you have Carl Urban. Yeah. So oh, he's great. Yeah. And I, but I quit so, reading the boys. Did you read the boys? No. <laughs> like I did for a while, and I was like, oof, this is one of my favorite artists, and it's my favorite writer, and I can't hang. I think and I was done when I was done with the gerbil. When the dribble happened, I was out. Yeah, but they toned that stuff down. It was still there. I just didn't get to the part where we were talking about this earlier, where where Garth Ennis does his thing. Like it didn't get to the part where you connect with the characters. You know, where you're like, oh, you made me care. Um, it, and I've I have a feeling that if I went back, I'd probably like it more. But um, I haven't done that yet. So. If you'd like to write in, you can do that at contact at iFanboy. We had two other really good questions, but we're going long again and again and again and again. Um, I didn't you, set a timer, sir. Yeah, I know. That's fine. 
Uh, we uh, uh, there was a booksplode. Uh, we did the second part of Planetary. Uh, another story. I think that would make a terrible TV show. I know they tried to make it into a TV show, but it would be awful. That's what I think. Um, Connor and I talked about uh, the second collection of that. So basically, we did the first half of Planetary a year ago, and then we just did the second half of Planetary to finish it up and talk about it. Um, there will be a Talksplode this month in August. I don't know who it is yet. I know who October is. And I know who April is of next year, but I don't know who August is right now. I try, the person who I wanted to do for August um, said, how about the we do a thing for October? And I said, okay. And I thought, damn it. Um, <laughs> so now i got to find somebody. Um, I'm not asking for suggestions, by the way, just in case you, that was, you thought that was um, an invitation. It was the Twitter app. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh, I, I haven't been on Twitter in a month. It's been wonderful. I meant the person opening Twitter to tell you who to... Doesn't matter. Tell me all you want. I'm not checking yet. The only reason I went on there was to say that Ryan and Jim did a good job. That was that was all. And then I ran. I ran back away. Um uh, you you're doing you're doing Batman Hush yeah, when no, Connor gets is, back. Yeah, sorry. I had the C down for the patron powers, but then the C threw me for the coming soon. Don't worry about it. Uh, Batman Hush. It's an animated feature that it has been out for a minute and uh, we just haven't gotten around to it yet because we're busy. And uh, don't worry, the Animated Brain Trust will reconvene as soon as we were able and we will record a show about the Batman Hush movie. So just hang in there. I, I still know, the first time I saw that in the script, I was like, wait, I got to read that? Oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> Head on over to ifanboy.com to find all of the podcasts that have ever been released ever by the iFanboys. And uh, you can find out by you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash iFanboy and following iFanboy on Twitter. Uh, there's also iFanboy Comics on Instagram where the best of the week panels feature has returned. I keep meaning to submit to that and I keep dropping the ball just because on weeks when I've read my comics quickly enough to uh, contribute is also weeks where I'm on the show. So I'm distracted by other things. You can follow us individually. Jay Flanagan on Twitter when he bothers and on Instagram when he feels like it. Uh, C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram consistently. I am at Haupt on Twitter and at Ryan Haupt on Instagram. If you like this show, uh, you should leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. By the way, it's Apple Podcast. It's it's not going to change. It'll be exactly the same. It's just separated. All the stuff will be there. People the are shows freaking will out. Be there. Uh, when it happens, it will be very undifferent. They already separated. They already did it on the iOS devices. They did it forever ago. They separated music and podcasts, and that's yeah, all. Yeah, the app that they the app that they released for iOS was terrible. We don't have time to get into it. No, I, I use Overcast, but you can't leave a review on Overcast. <laughs> I don't think. Um, and it, or better, just just tell people about it. Uh, tell people about the show you like. I like if you like punk rock music. If there's anything in it you like, um, go listen to Turned Out a Punk. Um, I found I found one with Ryan Panagos. I was like, he's on this show? What? Okay, fine. Um, so he, he's being interviewed on there. Um, that's a really good show, and there's there's others. Uh, tell people about them like I've done. Uh, and uh, that's about all. That'll that'll do. Thank you so much for uh, – I know you, you had to – you're not home. You had to take time out of your life two weeks in a row now to come do the thing, and I appreciate it. Staring mournfully at the sea right now, waiting to stop recording so I can A, turn the air conditioning back on, and yes, B, I'm go right jump there. in the ocean. What state are you in? I am in the state of Florida, the Sunshine State, the state of my birth. Why I'm did on you, the Gulf Coast of Florida. Why did you give me a, a central time then? Uh, because the panhandle of Florida goes far enough to the west that oh. part of it is in central time. So you're almost in Louisiana. Uh, I'm in the part of Florida that's much more similar to Alabama in many respects. I see. <laughs> so I see. Okay. I am, I am not far from a town called Florala, right on the border. Florala, <laughs> Florida. 
Florida, 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 uh, Alabama. So, um, yeah, I'm in Fort Walton Beach. That's where I was okay. born. Okay, so, I see that. Uh, it's it's near Destin. All over the place, you. Yeah, can't can't pin me down. Don't try. Cool. White sandy beaches. Beautiful hey, if that's what you're into, I'm just waiting for winter. All right. I, <laughs> I feel like we're just we're representing two very different kinds of redneck right now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I, I'm here for it. But uh, I've been Ryan. I'm Josh. Thanks so much, everyone. Well, sometimes I punch myself hard as I can, yelling, nobody cares, hoping someone will tell me how wrong I am.